The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. That's where we'll be studying together this morning, Mark chapter number 6. Uh, I do want to say I'm really looking forward to the picnic this afternoon. In fact, I was so excited this morning when I got up, I almost came to church in my shorts and my t-shirt. But I thought, if I'm up here in my shorts and my t-shirt, everyone's going to be blinded by the stage light's reflection. So I thought that's probably not a good idea. Um, so we, we stuck with the suit this morning. In all seriousness, seriousness, I do want to say thank you to all the veterans who have served our country. We're so thankful for the sacrifice that you have made and those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could enjoy the freedoms that we do every day and the freedom to come and worship God this morning. So, uh, these past few weeks we've been looking at uh, some different trials that Jesus Christ has faced in his life through this series called Shattered, Surviving in a Broken World. And we've been looking at how when Christ is living through us, how we'll respond when we're going through some of these same difficulties. And so we've been looking through the life of Christ, looking at the different things that he faced and what it looks like in our lives when Christ is living through us in these difficulties. Uh, Inside your service program, you'll find an outline that you can use to follow along as we study the Bible together this morning. As is our tradition around here, if you're physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read God's Word this morning. We'll read Mark chapter 6. We'll start in verse 30 and we'll read down through verse 34. Uh, we'll be looking at many verses here uh, throughout this passage this morning, but we'll just start with these first four verses. The Bible says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told them all things. Uh, as you read the verses before and the chapters before, you'll find the disciples had just been through a season of ministering where they went out into uh, all the different cities and they were ministering to people. Now they're coming back to Jesus. And they told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Literally, they were so busy, they hadn't even had a chance yet that day to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, referring to Jesus. And they ran afoot throughout all the cities. So literally, as Jesus and the disciples are trying to get away, the people see him. And literally, this huge crowd of people, they follow Jesus. And Jesus, when he came out, when he came out of the boat, saw much people and was moved with compassion towards them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This morning I want to speak on the subject of how to respond when our lives are shattered by grief. How to respond when our lives are shattered by grief. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much. Uh, Lord, just that we have the privilege to come and the freedom to come and worship you this morning. Lord, we thank you for all those who served our country. And Lord, I just ask that you be with us this morning, Lord, and that as we study the word, we would see what it looks like when you are living through us in our grief. We ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, well, some of you may know, my wife and I, Sarah, she was playing the piano this morning. Uh, we are getting ready for the, uh, the birth of our first child. His name is going to be Nicholas, and we're excited about that. Um, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is seeing what his personality is going to be like. And as we're thinking about what he's going to be like, and is he going to be an introvert, an extrovert, I've kind of been wondering or going back in my own mind to what I was like as a child. And kind of both of our hopes is that he behaves better than his father did. Um, uh, so we're, we're really hoping for that. But um, as I was thinking about, you know, how we were as kids, I can remember growing up as kids, there was four of us siblings. I can remember we used to give my mom so much grief. I don't know how that lady put up with us, but we gave her such a hard time. I can remember when she would get on the phone, that was like our cue to start terrorizing our little house. And so she would get on the phone and the clothes that were once neatly folded were now strewn over. My brother and I 
we would raid the pantry to find anything that we could eat. And we just, we, I mean, you, you know we crossed the line when she said, you just wait till your father gets home. Um, and so maybe some of you moms can relate to that a little bit. Uh, I remember one of the things that my dad used to always tell me, though, is he'd say, son, stop giving your mother grief. And we were really good about giving my mom grief. I can remember later on in life as a teenager, kind of, being on the other side of that situation. Um, there was this one kid in school, and it seemed like his goal in life was to make me miserable. Maybe there's some teenagers in here, and you know somebody like that in your school. And it seems like every time he sees you, he just goes out of his way to be annoying or to give you grief or to give you a hard time. I can remember literally planning my day around where this guy was going to be because I didn't want to see him. Perhaps, you know, it's at work. You have a coworker, or you have a boss, and there's somebody, and it just seems like, man, that person... They exist to give me grief. They exist to give me a hard time. And so you're just, they give you all that grief. Maybe it's a little bit more serious. Maybe you just got a report or a phone call from a doctor. And your health has took an unexpected turn. And there's going to be a season of grieving in your life. Maybe you're here and you've just recently lost a loved one. And you're grieving. You're going through an intense season of grieving in your life. Maybe you can't sleep at night because the grief is just so strong. It keeps you up. It keeps you awake. Maybe it seems like I just I can't think about anything else other than the grief. I can't focus on my work. I can't, I can't focus because this grief is just so strong. When you try and articulate how you feel, you can't even clearly put into words what you're feeling just because the grief is so strong in your life. How do we respond when we're going through that grief? The definition of grief is a keen mental suffering or distress over affliction and loss. Deep sadness, sharp sorrow, trouble, annoyance, misery, irritation, vexation. Have any of you ever been there before? It just seems like your life has just been flipped upside down and you're just, you're grieving. Whether it's you lost a loved one or there's just some health concerns, you're grieving. Whether or not you're going through a serious, intense time of grieving, or it just kind of seems like life's giving you a lot of grief, this morning, this morning we're going to look and see how do we respond when Christ is living in me in that time of grief. All of us can raise our hand and say, whether it's real or not, we've experienced it all in our lives. But the question is, how do we respond? And what does it look like when Christ is living through us through those seasons of grief? So here's the thing for how we're going to kind of answer our questions this morning. And our theme is, in our grief, empathy is greater than sympathy. When we're going through our grief, empathy is greater than sympathy. So let's do this. Let's dive into a day in the life of Jesus Christ and see what it looks like when Christ is living through us in our grief. Uh, at this point in the New Testament, John the Baptist has just been brutally and wrongfully murdered. Now, John the Baptist uh, was a cousin of Jesus. Um, his, mother's and his, um, his mother and, and Jesus' mother were both very close. So I'm sure because of that, they grew up together a lot, as a lot of cousins do. So they were, they were close. John the Baptist and Jesus, they were cousins. But not only did they have a family relationship, John the Baptist was the first prophet. And literally, get this, over 400 years. Since the Old Testament had ended, there hadn't been a prophet sent from God. And John the Baptist was the very first prophet. So not only was 
see a cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, his entire purpose for life was just to get ready for, to get people ready for Jesus, to point the way to Jesus. John the Baptist, his entire goal was to say, hey, this is Jesus, we need to follow him. And so John the Baptist and Jesus, they had a very close ministry relationship as well, from serving together and having a common purpose in life. John the, uh, Jesus and John the Baptist were both cousins. They were uh, closely related in their ministry. And at this point, John the Baptist had been murdered by King Herod. Now, when, uh, when John the Baptist died, normally in my mind, I picture John the Baptist as an older man. But in truth, he was really only 31 or 32 when he died. So many people would look at John the Baptist and say, he really died before his time. He died too young. Um, so Jesus and John the Baptist, they were close. And now we find that Jesus finds out that John the Baptist had just died. Uh, when Matthew records this same day in Christ's life, he says this way in Matthew 14, 12, and 13. And the disciples came and took up the body. They took up the body of John the Baptist, and they buried it, and they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place. So when we look at Matthew's account of this story, he includes the fact that the disciples told Jesus about John the Baptist's death. And we can see Jesus' response here is he just wants to get away. He wants to be alone. Jesus is grieving John the Baptist. And sure, as most, most of us have been there, when we're going through that grieving time, often our response is, I just, I just want to go be alone. I just want to be away. And that's how Jesus is responding here. Imagine the grief that Jesus is feeling. He just lost his cousin. He just lost a close friend. The first prophet in over 400 years that came to Israel just died unexpectedly and very young. Now imagine also Jesus is coming off an intense season of serving in ministry. The Bible says in uh, Mark 6.31, And he said, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were so many comings and going that they had no leisure so much as to eat. Literally, they hadn't eaten all day long and they had been serving people and serving people. Now all of a sudden he gets the news that John the Baptist is dead. And I can only imagine what Jesus was feeling in that moment. No doubt in his humanity because he was tired from serving and he hadn't eaten those emotions, that grief was amplified. It seems like grief never comes when we're ready for it. It always comes at what seems like a bad time. And that's definitely the case for Jesus here. He was tired. He was fatigued. He hadn't eaten anything. Literally, they had been so busy serving others, they didn't even have a chance to eat. They were tired. They needed to rest. They needed to grieve John the Baptist. And in their attempt to get away, look at what happens. In Mark 6, verses 32 and 34, it says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and they ran afoot. So literally this crowd is just chasing them. And when they get out of the boat, Jesus says he was moved with compassion towards them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Other uh, Gospels will tell us that they were also healing many sick. So literally, they just came off this really intense time of serving. They hadn't eaten anything all day. They're grieving John the Baptist, and now all of a sudden, they're faced with another long day of serving people. I can imagine if I was in their position, that would not have been what I was excited about doing. Imagine how you would have felt after that second long day of serving. If I was in that story, I would have been frustrated, I would have been tired, I would have been worn out. And we're going to look, let's look and notice how, how did the disciples respond? They were grieving the loss of a close friend. And let's look at how uh, they responded in Mark 6.35. The Bible says, And when the day was now far spent, his disciples said unto him, This is a desert place. The time is now far spent. He says, the disciples say, Send them away, Jesus. Let's go. And then they say, that they may go into a country around about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So in their fatigue, in their grief, the disciples recognized that a need these people had. These people needed to eat food. 
And the disciples said, send these people away, Lord. God, it's, it's getting late. These folks need to eat. Let's just send them away so that we can go and we can grieve. And here in this verse, the disciples show us a natural response when we, a response when we are confronted with the need in our time of grief. Which leads us to our first point this morning, and that is this. Sympathy is natural. In our grief, when we are, when we are confronted with the need, sympathy is going to be our natural response. In their grief, the disciples saw a need that the people had. They realized, hey, these people need some food, so let's, you know, let's send them away so they can go eat. They saw the need. They had sympathy for the need. But notice, they didn't actually do anything to meet the need. They saw it. They recognized it. They, they had kind of some sympathy towards it. They said, okay, Jesus, let's, let's send them away now because, after all, they need to eat. Um, if I was one of those disciples, I would have been thinking, send them away, Jesus. I need to eat. <laughs> you know, the Bible, they hadn't eaten anything in two whole days here at this point. And so their, their response was sympathy. But really, their sympathy was just masqueraded apathy. Yeah, they recognized the need. They saw it, but they weren't about to do anything about it. And oftentimes that's how we respond in our grief. When we're going through troubles, when we're going through difficulties, when we're grieving, oftentimes we focus on our own needs and we focus on our own problems. And when a need arises, we may have sympathy, but we don't actually do anything to meet that need. Just like the disciples did here. If we're not surrendering ourselves to Christ in our seasons of grief, we will undoubtedly become apathetic towards the needs of others. This is why the Bible tells us in Galatians 6.10, As ye therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Notice that first phrase, as you therefore have opportunity. Any chance you can get to do good for somebody else, the Bible says do it. Notice it doesn't say if it's easy or if it's convenient for you, do good unto all men. It doesn't say if your life is cushy and everything's going great, do good. No, it says, as you therefore have opportunity. Anytime there's a need that arises, the Bible says, if you have the chance, do good unto all men. One of the best exercises for a grieving heart is to reach down and help somebody else out. And when we do not allow the grace of God to work through us, we can become self-focused. It's like we go into preservation mode. Um, the other day, my wife and I were driving in the car and she had a bottle of water with her. And after she finished it, she very nonchalantly, like nothing, you know, nothing out of the ordinary, she just threw it in the back seat. And I was like, what did you just do? You know, you're throwing your trash in the back seat of my car. You know, my car is not the cleanest car in the world, but I try and keep it clean. And it wasn't like she just stuck it with her stuff to throw it away, you know, trash in, trash out. She just, whoop, like no big deal, just threw it in the back seat. And I, and I looked at her and I was like, I just had this dumbfounded look on my face. Like, what did you just do? You're making a mess in my car. And then she very matter-of-factly looks at me and goes, it's my job to make the car a mess and your job to clean it. <laughs> and then she looks at me, to kind of dig herself out a little bit, she looks at me and goes, it's your job to make the house a mess and my job to clean it. Okay, all right, you want to play that game. <laughs> Clearly, I was not listening to last, night, or last week's message about not getting even. So the next morning, right, we get up and... My clothes did not find their way into the hamper. Um, in the bathroom, my comb got left on the counter. My toothbrush got left on the counter. The toothpaste lid did not get put back on the toothpaste. It was just kind of left everywhere. This one will really get you. I left the toilet seat up. I was all right. I'll remember this. And then, to her amazement, she came up to me, babe, you know, could, could you kind of clean up after yourself? I looked at her and I said, sweetheart, I have my own mess to clean up in the car. I don't have time to clean up the house. <laughs> you say, what happened after that? Ask me later and I'll show you the scars. Um, you know, the truth is, a lot of times, when we have our own problems, like the disciples, we don't want to be bothered with other people's problems. 
We, we have our own mess to clean up. Lord, we haven't eaten anything for two days. We've been busy. We're tired. We're exhausted. We're grieving John the Baptist. He was just wrongfully taken from us. Let's just send these people away, Lord, so we can, so we can go grieve, so we can go mourn, so we can go take care of ourselves. Oftentimes we feel like because we have our own problems, we can't be bothered with the problems of others. And like the disciples, our sympathy is just masqueraded apathy. We don't want to be bothered with a problem that somebody else has. But in our grief, empathy is greater than just sympathy. When we are not allowing Christ to work through us in our times of grief, oftentimes we'll become apathetic towards the needs of others. But let's move on. We see the disciples' response was natural. It was normal. It was an expected response. But notice how Christ responded. The Bible says in Mark 6, 37 through, 30, uh, through 42, So uh, he answered and said unto them, this is after the disciples said, send them away so they can go eat. Jesus said unto them, give you them to eat. (laughs) I can only imagine being like, what? (laughs) There's 5,000 plus people here, Jesus. And they say unto him, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread? Uh, 200 penny worth of bread was about enough money to buy food for 200 days. Uh, Many scholars believe that that was about how much money all the disciples had together uh, themselves personally plus what was in their treasury. So they figured that's about how much money they had. And in case you're wondering, food for 200 days wouldn't be enough to feed 5,000 plus people. So they were probably pretty, what? (laughs) Okay, Lord. And he said unto them, how many loaves have you? Go and look. Go and see. And when they knew, they said, we have five and two fishes. So five loaves of bread and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples and set before them. And the two fish divided he among all, and they did all eat, and they were all filled. Now, in my mind, I always try and picture what this looked like. You know, as Jesus is breaking the bread, did it just keep, you know, did it just keep going and going? This is an awesome miracle that Jesus just does here. And we see when Christ was grieving, how did he respond to the need? He took care of it. When there was a need, Christ met that need. Jesus, now get this, Jesus has not eaten in two days. He has tirelessly served others. He is grieving his friend John the Baptist who has been killed, and look how he responds. In his grief is born one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament. In his grief, in his suffering, Jesus feeds over 5,000 people, which leads us to our next thought. Empathy is supernatural. While it's natural to respond with sympathy but not really do anything about it, when Christ is living through us, we're going to have empathy. We're actually going to help meet those needs. Here's how we're going to define empathy this morning. When Christ is working, or excuse me, empathy is your hurt in my heart, and not just your hurt in my heart. It's also my help in your hand. So when Christ is working through us, we're going to feel the needs of others. But not only are we going to feel them, we're actually going to reach out and help meet those needs. We're actually going to be able to help do something about it. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5.14, For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now when we're grieving, it's really easy to take care of ourselves because we can feel the pain. It's real to us. But the Bible says that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. So when somebody else has a problem, and somebody else has a need, even in our grief, we can help meet that need. When we allow Christ to work through us, we really can have empathy and compassion and serve others even when we ourselves are grieving. Now get this, when I first noticed this, or when it first kind of dawned on me, this was pretty cool. Christ was able to meet the need of others that he himself still had. Notice nowhere in our text does it see Jesus took a lunch break. 
The Bible's clear. Before this day, they hadn't eaten anything. And then they get out of the boat, and now they're tirelessly serving other people. And they haven't had a chance to eat. And so what does Jesus do? He takes care of a need that he himself still has. And when Christ is working through us, we can put others' needs even before our own needs, just like Jesus did here. When Christ is working through us, even in our grief, even when we're suffering, even when it seems like I'm the one that needs to be taken care of, we can put others' needs ahead of our own, just like Jesus did. Christ was meeting a need that he himself still has. When Christ is living through us, we can put others' needs before our own. I can remember um, a few years back at the graveside service for, for my dad. There was a lot of friends there, and there was, there was a lot of people there who did a, a lot for us. And I have two really good friends that I met in high school working at a summer camp, Carl Stein and Paul Johnson. And uh, Carl actually lived in Arizona, so he, he drove down because um, he lived about a few hours away. But our friend Paul Johnson, we called him PJ, PJ was actually traveling around the country trying to raise support to go to Japan as a missionary. And so uh, when everything had happened with my dad, he was actually traveling around the country with his family, trying to raise support to go to Japan. And I can remember being there at my, gra- my dad's gravesite, just kind of waiting for everything to start. And I look up, and here walks PJ. And I remember seeing, you know, PJ at this time, he was on the other side of the country. And I, I remember thinking, how in the world is he here? You see, when you're traveling around trying to raise support as a missionary, you don't have extra money. A lot of times you're just living from the offerings that churches give you, kind of from church to church to church. So to be able to just drop everything, buy a round-trip plane ticket across the country and back at a moment's notice was, was crazy. And I remember, I mean, nobody would have blamed him if he didn't show up. I mean, nobody would have blamed him if he just had sympathy on, on our family and said, hey, you know, I heard it, I'm really sorry, but I, I just can't make it right now. Nobody would have blamed him for having just sympathy, but Christ was working through him, and he was actually able to be there. Why? Because he had surrendered himself to Christ. And because of that, he was able to put our needs as a family ahead of his own needs. And he was able to be there. And I just remember that really making an impression on me, because when Christ is living through us, we truly can't put others' needs ahead of our own. Uh, One of the reasons we tend to become apathetic towards the needs of others during our own grief is that we think... I got to take care of myself. I have to take care of myself. You know, this is an intense time for me, so I'm just, I'm going to take care of myself. But what we fail to realize so often is that when we surrender to Christ in our grief, Christ takes care of our grief for us. When we surrender to Christ on a daily basis, when we let Christ live through us, Christ then takes care of our grief so we don't have to. Christ will take care of our grief. And while Christ is ministering to us in our grief, oftentimes he's going to lead us to go and help meet the needs of others when we ourselves still have that same need. When Christ is living through me, we can help meet the needs of others that we ourselves are still facing. The disciples saw the need, and they did nothing. They had sympathy. They, they felt kind of bad. But at the end of the day, they didn't really do anything to meet the need. Christ saw the need, and he took the lead. And this is kind of the takeaway for this morning. When we see a need, when a need arises, see the need and take You say, Nick, that's kind of a cliche statement. But when Christ is working through us, that's what our lives will be like. We'll be like Jesus, and we'll actually take the lead, and we'll we'll be able to meet these needs that we ourselves still have. When Christ is living through me in my grief, I can take time to feed someone else, even though I still need to be fed. When Christ is living through me in my grief, I can take time to listen to someone else, even though I still feel like I need someone to listen to me. When Christ is living through me in my grief, I can weep with others who are hurting even though I still need to weep for my own hurt. When Christ is living through me in my grief, I can, take care, or I can care even though I feel like I, I need someone to care for me. When Christ is living through me, 
through me and my grief, I can arise to whatever need presents itself because it's not me. It's Christ living through me. And when we surrender to Christ in our grief, we can meet those needs and put others' needs ahead of our own. When Christ is living through me, we can see the need and take the lead. And in those moments, when apathy begins to rear its ugly head, because it will, when apathy begins to creep up in your heart, we need to surrender to Christ. That needs to be a trigger in our mind that says, Christ, I need to surrender this grief to you. And Christ, would you meet this need through me, even though it's still a need I have in myself? Can you imagine being there on that day? Being on that hill that evening when Jesus fed 5,000 people? I can imagine that was a story that got told over and over and over again. I can remember a grandpa sitting somewhere saying, Grandkids, have you ever heard the story about the feeding of the 5,000? The kid's going, yes, 5,000 times. Because it was such an awesome miracle. Christ touched and Christ met a need in over 5,000 people's life. Why? Because in his grief, he chose empathy over apathy. Let me ask you this. What miracle is about to happen in your life if we choose empathy over apathy? Let's pray.